I am uh, pretty sick here, so... You know, I'm up to the challenge, but I'm worried my voice is going to cut out if we go much past an hour. Yes. Um, so we want to we want to power through this thing. All right. Which is why it's Potter Zeebe, the comic book nerd cast that dares to ask, what, me worry? I'm your idiot, Kyle Bridget, and with me, your co-idiot. Patty McInerney. But, uh, I mean, obviously, this is... What? What? I mean, I thought we settled it. I thought, like... Is this like, uh, are you trying to like dog. alpha dog me or something? The co-idiot like, thing? Yeah. Look, man, I just said we need to get through this thing quick and you're bringing it up now. <laughs> We're never going to make it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a husk by the end of this. So let's move on to our first apartment. We'll sort it out later. All right. Begrudgingly. Wonk, wonk, zerby, zerby. Welcome to the It's Rambling Men department. Can I ask you something? Not, not that, a different thing. Nope. <laughs> oh man, this is. This, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I guess we better move on to our next department. <laughs> yeah, of course. Go ahead. Oh, okay, good. Um, you ever piss in a pool? Uh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you this: Did they tell you when you were a kid that if you peed in the pool, that it would turn red? the water around you that there was like some sort of dye in the water that reacted to urine. Yeah. I don't know who they are. I don't ever remember being told like specifically like, Hey, if you piss in this pool again, it's big lifeguard. <laughs> I, nobody like told me in that way. It was more like, I think it was peers. They were like, Hey, you better cool it. Cause they've been caught. War yeah. Quit warming up the water with your piss. You got to cool it from now on because they have stuff in this pool it will turn the water a different color the urea uh, in your urine will will activate a solution yeah but that's bullshit i don't think it's true but they always told us that at the pool various people other kids i think the lifeguards even told us you know it was like a dye pack if you're doing a bank robbery or something <laughs> yeah it always kind of captivated my mind like how would it work is it like an octopus shooting its ink you know, where it's like a big cloud forms around you. You could swim around someone else and pee around them and kind of frame them. Oh, that'd be that'd be wonderful. Or it'd be like a big, like, ink stain, like the disappearing ink stain in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like, just on you. So you'd be <laughs> yeah. marked as the peer. And you have to put, like, uh, like lemon juice in it to make it dissipate? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, there's ways to test it. Like, you could maybe pee in a cup and pour it in. And maybe there's other ways to sort of beat the pee dye test. I was always worried that I'd go in for a, like a pee in the bathroom and I'd get yeah. a few dribbles and uh, then have to go back in and get accused of peeing in the <laughs> pool. <laughs> yeah, because like as a, a boy at the time and a man currently, sometimes like you don't get all the pee out. Sometimes you're like, ah, I'm all done. And then you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh zip too soon. <laughs> it's a big boy. <laughs> oh, God. Do you ever do that? Like, yeah. And then it's like the worst case is when you're at school and then like a little bit shows through and you're like, fuck, it looks like I pissed my pants because I pissed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say at school, you mean because you're a teacher at school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Now that I'm in middle age, it is happening more often again. I got to get my prostate out. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing that made me believe it as a kid was that I learned how to swim at a deaf-blind school. They had a pool. My dad worked at a deaf-blind school. They had a big pool. And because they had a lot of kids that were of different needs there, um, often you'd be doing your, your swim test, 
and it'd be like a, it'd be like Caddyshack, you know, everybody out of the pool, right? Because someone someone dropped a bomb, and uh, so you'd have to get out. And so it was like, okay, well, they must have some way of like monitoring this. <laughs> <Are> you okay? <laughs> you think it's funny that the deaf blind kids pooped in the pool? <laughs> I'm trying. I try really hard not to, <laughs> not to laugh so hard. But to be honest, the laughter started just with, just when you had this premise of going to the deaf blind school to learn how to swim. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems weird, but like it was the only deafblind. It was the first deafblind school in Canada. It's w. Ross McDonald, and it's huge. It's like a huge campus. They had like an Olympic-sized yeah. well. They used to have deer on campus. It was a really cool, cool campus. I mean, but it's also kind of like a prison for the kids, so it's kind of sad in a way. But the pool's nice. But why um, were they pooping and peeing in the pool so much? Well, I think just some of the kids are like delayed learning, right? Because it's kind of hard to. You know, it's hard oh, to, like, okay. teach when kids are deaf and blind at the same time. You know, you don't tend to learn at the same pace. Yeah, oh, like Helen Keller stuff, this, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Oh, I rescind all of my laughter. I thought it was deaf kids and blind kids, not... The they had deaf. both, but they also had the combo, right? In the Venn yeah. diagram of deaf and blind kids, there was also deaf blind kids in the middle. Okay. In that, like, Vesica Pisces in the middle. You know, and the thing that made me doubt urine turning the water red myth was the kiddie pool. Because, you know, there'd be a kiddie pool, and you know that's full of pee, right? Like, it's significantly warmer than the other one. The kids are, like, just free-flowing pee. Swim diapers flow pee through them, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's what made me sort of doubt whether or not that was true. Okay, but here's the thing. They wouldn't put it in there. You put you add the chlorine, right? You add the chemicals to like keep the pool balanced, and then yeah. if it's a big public pool, and like you know you're the pool monitor, right? You're the pool boy, and you're going. You're like, God, these chemicals are all off balance. Look at this this level; it's so acidic. And you're like, sh people are pissing too much in this pool. Then you're like, I know what I'm going to do. Put in the dye pack. I'm going to put in go. that chemical, the pee chemical. Yeah. So I st I still believe in it to be honest. I still roll really? the dice. Yeah, I really? still roll the dice and piss in the pool. But, hmm. yeah. Interesting. Why would somebody lie about that? Why would somebody lie about that? To get people to not pee in the pool through fear and intimidation. But then the other thing about the kiddie pool is people take their kids out of the kiddie pool. They walk them through the shallow end and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I just don't think it's true. I don't know. Yeah. I've never tested it. Give it a shot. I Listen, right? Never mind. I can't make that joke. I'm going to make a joke, but you got to cut it out. Uh, I think you do actually have to cut that one out. <laughs> hey, on the subject of piss and changing color, one of like the simple joys in my life is if you go into a bathroom, sometimes they'll have like the water will be blue in the toilet either like from the basin they'll like put it the tank i guess is what it's called they'll put the stuff in it so it's like blue and it like cleans as it flushes one of my favorite things is when you pee in that blue water and you turn it green there you go i think I they like should that. have other colors so you could turn it orange you just really get green or orange anyway all this uh pool talk has got me needing to pee so maybe we should sneak out of this department <laughs> Go pee in the school pool. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go down to W. Ross McDonald. <laughs>
<laughs> Take a whiz. <laughs> hey, Kyle, let's hit pause on this recording and get into some water sports. It's time new and again to probe the future schlock department with that trans-temporal horoscopist, the slow poisoner. Hello, friends. I'm the slow poisoner. Like you, I am interested in the future. Unlike you, I have been there. And what does the future hold in store for us? It should come as no surprise that in the coming years, personkind will be facing ecological calamities on an unprecedented scale. Among the most alarming of these consequences of climate change is the complete disappearance of bees. And while we may be relieved to no longer be stung on the nose at picnics, all in all, the bees being gone is not a pleasant buzz. In the 2030s, it will fall to a core of dedicated volunteers to take on the chores formerly associated with the erstwhile insect, primarily that of collecting and transporting pollen. Those dedicated to the task will be keeping their noses in the flowers and, with a little help from 21st century science, regurgitating nectar into honey. Documentaries about the phenomenon are known as bee movies. By the end of the 2040s, belief in God will fall to a new low in popularity among a disillusioned population. The megachurches behind the big business of religion, poised on the verge of bankruptcy, adapt with the times and hit on a new way to keep people in their pews. Nanotechnology transmitters that inject endorphins directly into the God part of the brain. Choir boys, choral singers, and everyday parishioners alike experience a wave of spiritual euphoria as tiny robotic arms stick their Jesus needles into the limbic structures of the brain, specifically the hypothalamus. 2056 is the big year for skeet shooting as a reunited Gondwana land goes for the gold at the Olympic Games with their wholesale slaughter of clay pigeons. And that, my friends, is what the future holds in store for us, for now. All right, welcome to our next department, humor in a biblical vein department. That's right. You know, the trouble with doing mad articles for a department on Potter Zebe is that they're kind of narrow in their focus, and maybe they don't translate too easy to the podcast form. You know, are you going to describe a fold-in for a half an hour or spy versus spy or horrifying cliches really don't work in like an audio <laughs> format, you know? Uh, it's a visual medium, and, you know, it kind of highlights how idiotic this podcast is. Yeah, I like, you know what, let's try to describe visually different horrifying cliches, um, like uh, belabor the point. Okay, so there's this gruesome uh, point and he's being belabored. <laughs> and he has to move cinder blocks back and forth. I mean, obviously you could do it, but I do feel like, for example, we did Woman Wonder, but that's mostly a comic, right? It has a straight narrative where most of the magazine articles... 
you know they don't have that we've done no. some snappy answers to stupid questions where we use chat gpt and i think that worked well but you really need a concept like that a hook but we don't need a hook today because what mm -hmm. we looked at today is like a micro mad magazine within mad magazine kind of like that national lampoon parody from 71. but the conceit of this article the book of mad from 1983 is what if mad but in biblical times. It's pretty fun. The start of it has a little scroll motif, which I have to say, I was a little surprised they didn't go with like a chiseled in stone motif, but it's hard to do a beautiful drawing with that. I think this was really inspired by uh, sort of two sort of historical collections of documents. The Dead Sea Scrolls, should we say the Dud Sea Scrolls, am I right? <laughs> Uh, or my preferred, the Nag Hammadi Library. And both of those collections were found around 1945-46, but they didn't really get translated and released to the public in any kind of way, just because there was all sorts of um, challenges to, like with the with the Dead Sea Scrolls. I believe like there was like a, uh, a university in Israel that kind of had possession of them, and they were kind of really like protective about who could be involved in it. And yeah. I think with the Nag Hammadi library, it was kind of like in escrow for a long time. And then by the time they get to these texts, there are a lot of fragments. So they got to piece them together like puzzles and translate them. So they didn't really start coming out in like English translations until the late 70s, early 80s. So I think there was kind of like scroll mania going on when this sort of came out. I love that. I love scroll mania. Yeah, and just in case people are interested, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're mostly Jewish texts from the 3rd century. And the Nag Hammadi Library is like Christian agnostic texts from like the 3rd and 4th century. And together they, they form like some of the oldest biblical texts that exist. Is that the one that has like the Book of Enoch in it? or I think the Nag Hammadi does have that. Because the Nag Hammadi has, it has that, it has, um, what do they call it? It's like the Testament of Judas is in there. Uh, there's oh, yeah. a bunch Judas of other Iscariot. ones. Yeah, because they're kind of they're from after the uh, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, and that sort of post-Nicene period where it's like, okay, we've we've created the biblical canon, we've taken everything that we want in there, and everything else is going to get burned. They didn't burn it. Well, a lot of it was destroyed, right? I don't think so. Well, it doesn't exist seemingly, and the ones yeah, that I exist that... were like hidden away. Yeah, <laughs> so the Vatican really... has them. Maybe. Maybe they're secretly in there and we don't yeah. know about them. That's a possibility. But there's also a good chance if they do have them, they've rotted away to nothing. Because the only reason that the Nag Hammadi Library and the Dead Sea Scrolls survived is because they were like buried in the desert where it was extremely dry and it sort of created yeah. a way to preserve it. And then as soon as they were open, they immediately started deteriorating really fast. So there's all sorts of stuff from that that we don't even know. Because after they opened it, it just started falling apart instantly, even though it was like in pristine condition when they found it. It's like some of my mad magazines when I take them out of the bags and boards. Yeah, there's little detritus just, that floats around. They just start crumbling, yeah. I think it should be said, though, like if people are wondering why this, if you don't like watch the live streams that we have together, we've sort of tread this a lot, which is we both really enjoy cartoon versions of biblical stories. This is something... <laughs> A shared interest that we yeah, discovered. Yeah. We talked about this a bit on the uh, Wordly Desires department in the second episode oh, of yes. Potter Zebe. That was something that I brought up was more sort of Crumb's Genesis-esque books by different artists. 
Uh, but I have, lo- I have lots of stuff like that on my shelf. And I'm always, always excited to find new stuff like that. So we probably should just talk a little bit about the book of Mad. So it was a micro Mad inside of Mad. It was written by Lou Silverstone as a follow-up to the similar but much more ambitious 24-page insert Mad, spelled M-A-D-D-E, from Mad Special number 19 in the fall of 1976 in honor of the Bicentennial. Love it. And it was pretty much like what we're going to look at today, except it was 24 pages. It even had Spy versus Spy and little tri-corner hats. I don't know if yeah. you've read it, but he did that then. And then this is his follow-up like nine years later. I guess it wasn't all that popular, but he gets a second chance to do it here. And Lou Silverstone, he was born in 1924. He was a writer of Mad from 62 to 90. Mostly he's known for movie and TV parodies, which is appropriate because he also wrote for TV, although it's hard to find his credits. So he, he worked on Jackson 5, the cartoon, and Candid Camera, of all things. Ooh. But I get the impression that he was kind of writing for TV and not getting a lot of credit for it. Yeah. You know, like he was kind of punching up things and stuff like that. And then in 1990, he left Mad to become the editor of Cracked, where he would be the editor for most of my childhood until Dick Culpa took over in 2000. Oh, we love Dick Culpa. (laughs) No comment on Dick Culpa. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, he was the editor of Cracked for like my entire childhood run of reading Cracked. You know, I think I started in like about 1989, right around the time he was starting. And then I probably left in the late 90s just before he left. Yeah, I didn't realize that he had any career outside of Mad Magazine. Certainly not in Cracked, because, I mean, when I read Cracked, I'm not really paying attention much to who is the publisher or anything like that. And also, like, Cracked wasn't always good about giving credit to writers, were they? That's true. And he was one of the writers, too. So Cracked had a few, like, sort of staff writers that'd be listed at the beginning. Yeah. uh, And then they wouldn't be credited throughout for little things. So he was writing for it and also being the editor of it for that run. And I think that's a good run. You know, I'm a little biased because I grew up with it when I was a kid. But I do think it's one of the better runs, you know, of Cracked. Cracked has a lot of valleys, shall we say. And I think the, uh, at least the early 90s were a bit of a peak. Mort Todd, those are some, that was a peak, right? Yeah, I think so. I think Mort Todd, he sort of like turned it around. And then I think there's a bit of a lull when he leaves and sort of, I think he leaves in like the mid eighties. And then I think there's a bit of a lull until the like nineties kick in. And then they really, I think they really hit their stride then. And then Dick Culpa comes in and it's a, it's a steep decline. The inventor of Bat Boy, Dick Culpa. Yeah, we should really do an episode about Dick Culpa Cracked. I was reading about today. It actually is very exciting to learn about because he was like contractually obligated not to talk about how he acquired it and all sorts of things about it. And then he ended up getting called out by, I guess, investors over why they're on 62,000 newsstands, but only moving 15,000 units. This is what it says on Wikipedia. And then he was like promptly fired. (laughs) So it sounds like he was doing some weird stuff. And he also would have presided over the era where the anthrax scare caused all their archives to be destroyed oh yeah 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 we'll save it for that episode because that's something that's utterly fascinating to me anyway this sort of presents itself as scrolls humor scrolls that have sort of been unearthed not unlike the nag hammadi library in that sort of post nicene period you know after jesus if he existed had lived and sort of like before the canon was you know canonized basically yeah bro jesus existed well, I don't think that is necessarily as cut and dry. So there's this guy, uh, Richard Carrier, 
and he did a Bayesian analysis of Hold the on. probability. Hold on. Do you have notes? I, Were you anticipating my problem with you just saying Jesus <laughs> never existed? Well, you know, I could talk about this off the cuff, but I did make some notes because I figured you probably would object. <laughs> oh, dude, you're like, uh, who is that? Maleficent. No, who's the guy, the prince? Machiavellian. You're Machiavellian. It's not Machiavellian to prepare for your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've done Listen, this. You had you had every opportunity to make notes, <laughs> but you chose not to. So anyway, he did a Bayesian analysis of the probability for a historic Christ in which he posits that Christ was like a mythological figure who was euhemerized instead of a, a historical figure who was mythologized. I think the prevailing consensus is that he was a historical figure and that he was sort of mythologized. And so, you know, most historians would say, okay, he existed, but the magical stuff was added on after. No, I think the prevailing thought is that he was the son of God and he was crucified. I don't think that is the prevailing thought. <laughs> Maybe it is technically by, like, number of Christians, but I don't know. I think you'd have to check because uh, certainly Jews don't believe that, except for the Jews for Jesus. They're um, fucking bad sports. Anyway, he makes an interesting case where he uses the writings of Paul to suggest that Jesus was, like, an allegorical figure representing some higher celestial concept. That, and basically that Christianity was a Jewish mystery school, which was all the rage. Mystery schools were all the rage in the Roman Empire around the time of Christ, right? You'd have the, I don't know how you'd say Isis mysteries, but like the mysteries of Isis, the Eloisian mysteries, the Athenian mysteries. Like you would have all these mystery schools where it's like you're a member of this cult. I use cult not in the sense that it's used now, but in like a yeah. religious group, like a sect, where it's like you join the religion. It's like being a mason or something where it's like the longer you're in it, more is revealed to you and there's all these secrets about it. And so basically that's his take on it. My take is that it shouldn't matter if he existed or not, right? Like if, if the teachings of the book are good and they make your life good and you believe them regardless it doesn't matter if he was like a real figure or if he was like a composite figure but you know the problem is that we'll never know because basically the council of nicaea said this is what's real and then everything else was pushed to the side and so much of it was destroyed either intentionally or unintentionally and uh, so we just don't know right like we don't we don't have examples of christ before whatever yeah well that's like okay this is my it's been a while and i didn't bring notes for a jesus debate um or any notes for that matter <laughs> is that there are Roman records of Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate basically signing the execution of Jesus. Of That's propaganda. That does not exist. That doesn't exist, you're telling me. I'm telling you, that doesn't exist. If it exists, it's kept a secret and no one can see it. But people are told that. They're told, like, oh, the Romans kept meticulous records. You know, they were like the Nazis. They kept these yeah, uh, bureaucratic helps. records. But <laughs> it doesn't... the Romans, too. It doesn't it doesn't exist. There's no there's no example of the early mentioned of Christ. I didn't write this down. It's either Tacitus or Josephus, right? Like it's one of these early historians and it's after Christ's death. It's like at least 20 years after his death or something like that. Yeah. And he's talking about Christians, not specifically Christ. So he's saying this is what the Christians believe. Yes. And so and I mean, that's not to say that he didn't exist. You know, my take is that I don't know if he existed. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, yeah. Maybe a lot of historical figures that we take for granted didn't exist, you know? But I don't have any skin in the game, so it's easy for me to say, like, oh, well, maybe he didn't exist, you know? Maybe I go with uh, Richard yeah. Carrier's one in three theory that he exists. Yeah, you can just <laughs> drop these hand grenades at podcast mates. <laughs> 
and just walk <laughs> around while my world crumbles before me. <laughs> well, look, if your world could be broken by an idiot like me in like <laughs> 10 minutes on a stupid podcast, then you weren't on a strong foundation to begin with. I'm sorry. That is a good <laughs> point. I think I'm still reeling from your Metamucil joke from earlier. Uh, <laughs> we... <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit a screenshot of that in. <laughs> See, actually, you know what? I, I probably won't make a video of this, but this is why we need an Instagram so I could post that on there. Oh, dude, I absolutely. I would love that. Pay attention, idiots, because I think we probably are going to have an Instagram. Maybe I'll make it this week. So let's let's dig into this. Let's dig into the Book of Mad from Mad number 243, December 1983. Look at this. I think they did this on purpose. Uh, it is on page number 33 and as you know when lucifer stood up to god it was one third of the other angels rebelled with him and then they were all cast out of heaven yeah and i think 33 shows up various points within the bible i think you could do like a gematria of the bible um i'm a big fan <laughs> of lucifer myself so i would i would have sided with him personally <laughs> i would have been in that third <laughs> bro i can't believe you said that well, you know, come on, you got this guy. He wants to keep humans in like a zoo, like a, like a menagerie for his own interests. He lies to them. You know, anyway, we don't need to get into this. We don't need to get into my sympathy for Satanism in a, in a Gnostic sense, not in like yeah. a Levian sense. Although I like that too. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's, I didn't notice a page 33. That's, that's a good, that's a good notice. Do you want to read the intro? Oh, most definitely. Most people believe that there was very little humor in biblical times. After all. There were no presidential families to give people a few laughs, and the Bible didn't have any jokes, and there were no gags in the Dead Sea Scrolls. What then did our biblical ancestors laugh at? Well, we may have found the answer to that question as we were cleaning out the mad stockroom recently. Mainly, we discovered some dusty ancient scrolls. Actually, they were some dusty ancient scrawls, as you'll soon see in these ridiculous excerpts from the Book of Mad. So I think there are jokes in the Bible. Was it is it Song of Solomon where they've got people like coming like donkeys and stuff? <laughs> I think that's a Song oh, yeah, of Solomon. No, no. It is. Yeah, Song of Solomon is really. It's. I mean, that's more it's like erotic. erotic. Yeah, yeah, it is. But there's some humor in that too, and I think there's probably some humor other places. It it's hard to identify because you would have to be a scholar of that kind of like ancient literature to be able to pick up on it. But I yeah. think they, I think they had a sense of humor too. So I think there's a, a touch of that thrown in. Um, yeah. It's almost like when you read uh, Shakespeare and your English teacher is like, this is really funny. And it's, <laughs> well, it's some of it I'd be like, I bite my thumb at you. <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, I find Shakespeare more funny in some of like the improbable situations that, the characters get into like uh like falstaff or um like midsummer's night dream is pretty funny yeah if you like uh if you like anti-semitism uh <laughs> what, what's the one is it merchant of venice is that the one <laughs> with shylock, uh, oh, shylock. <laughs> he basically gets kicked in the butt that's almost like a like a marx brothers routine <laughs> they could do it because they're so jewish anyway so we got the cover it opens, it's got a scroll. This whole thing is laid out like scrolls, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. This first panel, it's like a square scroll. It's like almost a whole page. The Book of Mad, the Book of part is written in this sort of faux Hebrew lettering. Yeah. Which I think is a nice touch. 
And then you've got a Jack Rickard cover with lots of chicken fat. It's uh, Noah, and he's it's the iconic scene where he's loading two of every animal onto the ark. Which yeah. we all know that's not how many animals. There's a different different configuration of it, but that's sort of yeah. the the common thought is there's two of every animal. Yeah, but when obviously you need more than that just in case. Yeah, some of those bugs like they die in like a day, so it's like you need yeah. a lot of them. Yeah, you were saying it's loaded with chicken fat. It's pretty fun. I mean, like I have been looking at it for a little while now, and I'm still finding little characters that I missed on that first perusal of it. Well, now I know you're triggered by me taking any kind of notes, but I I've gone through and I've listed some off here. <laughs> so we, yeah, we've got Pluto the dog. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what's neat about them is that they've often got them paired up with another animal. So you've got Pluto, and he's right next to Snoopy. Oh, I miss Snoopy. Yeah, I see him now. And then you've got the Esso Tiger, the tiger from, like, the Esso commercials. Oh, that's, what it, that's where I know I'm from. Okay. Yeah, there's yeah, one of buff. these that I'm not sure of, but the rest I have figured out. One of your favorites, Smokey Bear. Don't play with fire. Only you can prevent wildfires. Fire. Yes, I love Smokey Bear. And I like that he's done him almost like the uh, country bear jamboree. Like he looks a little kind of oafish, which is a fun take. Yeah. He has a cigar too, which I like. I feel like some of these characters you can have fun with and people will know who they are. Whereas others, they have to look like the characters or you wouldn't pick up on it. So you've yeah. got also Albert from Walt Kelly's Pogo. He's that like little alligator there sort yes. of in the bottom left. Okay. Here's one for all the deadheads. There's a turtle playing a banjo. That's straight off the cover of Terrapin Station, which is a Grateful Dead album from the late 70s. While the fire lights up low, strange shadows from the flames roll till things we've never seen seem familiar. It's got a great album cover. It's a train station. You've got these little turtles playing banjos. It's all done in like a naturalistic style. It's very whimsical. Yeah. And then you've got, of course, Crazy Cat, Ignatz, and Office of Pup all together there, right by the UPC symbol, which is the same yeah. symbol from the cover of the magazine. And it says, pick of serpents after being turned into sticks by Moses. <laughs> I like and that. Then, that's, that's a throwback to when they were making jokes about the UPC that they had to display on the front of their magazine. When did that come in? It was in the 70s? I think it was in the 70s, yeah. And the first one they did was... It was the entire front cover. Was that's a, we UPC. hope this screws up every machine in the country or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and they had that's a good. lot of fun for like a long time with those little UPC gags. Well, even when I was a kid, I remember there's one where it's Sergio did the cover, Sergio Aragones, and it's like Alfred E. Newman pushing a lawnmower. <laughs> yes, that's a good oh, one. Great. And then there's one character that I wasn't sure of. He's the bird with glasses and a tie. On a tree. Oh, yeah. I thought maybe he could be uh, Shoe. You know that comic Shoe from the newspaper by no. Jeff McNeely? Kind of no, looks no. like that, but not exactly. But it also kind of looks familiar. Like, I know that character. I don't think that's who it is. So that was the only one I couldn't yeah. find. And it says, in this issue, we sinketh the ark, splasheth the prophets, and drowneth the Philistines. I have a question for you. Yes. Where's Alfred? Oh, he's not on there. Yeah. Which I feel like that is a missed opportunity. It would have been nice to have him, even make him Noah or something, you know? Yeah. Then I could have used it for the episode art for this for this episode. <laughs> okay, so going into it, the first article we have, and the first thing you notice when you open up to like the two-page spread is that you've got scrolls rolling out in every direction. Well, at right angles to each other. <laughs> There's three scrolls. <laughs> 
but they're really nicely laid out and it's fun i'm guessing bob clark probably painted these i think it kind of looks like his hand more than anybody else yeah. who's involved in this i don't know who else it would be jaffe because he could paint those metals he's pretty good at stuff like that but he's not credited so the artists credited in this were jack rickard bob clark paul coker jack davis dave berg and george woodbridge oh okay so, then almost certainly bob clark i would say that's what i thought okay so then we have the shoe biz department footnotes and there's an asterisk there to current events current being <laughs> current the year the 30 or whatever Old testament yeah <laughs> the bronze age we're talking <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and footnotes to current events that was actually a recurring feature in mads for a few years i don't know if you've ever seen it they're only in 75 to 77 and it's being revived here in 1983 and then seemingly mm -hmm. never again i looked it up yeah. on mad cover site one of my many notes as I like to call them, due diligence. Uh, <laughs> but this is a pretty sweet gig for uh, Paul Coker Jr. You know, he only has to draw the feet. Yeah. Lucky duck. Does he have a foot thing? A foot thing. Foot fetish? <laughs> well, well, you know who might? And you're, you're going to like this. Do you know who normally, other than this one, this one is, you would assume, written by Lou Silverstone. But you know who wrote most of those footnotes to... It's Because it's footnotes too, and then there's different sort of categories for each article. Written by Peter Paul Porges. So it's a dream team. Peter Paul Porges and Paul Coker Jr. together at last. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So do you want to read a couple of these? Sure. Well, we can probably just describe what these ones are. Because I, I think there's probably a reason they didn't keep doing these footnotes. <laughs> yeah. They're not that funny. No. No, they're not. Especially, I mean, like, you know... Um, I know that there's like comedic pacing when it comes to things like in Mad Magazine, but you you shouldn't start with one that's so unfunny, which it's um, the feet of Noah. You you just see his feet in those like sandals, like I don't know what are those called, Hercules sandals or something. His beard, and then a saw and a hammer, and it says, "Hmm, the length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth shall be fifty cubits, and the height shall be thirty cubits." Let's see. How many meters maketh a cubit? Drat. Why did they have to switch from the metric system to cubits? Who understands cubits? Well, I don't know. Every, every Egyptian at the time? <laughs> I do, because I looked it up. A cubit is the length of a forearm, approximately, which is 44 centimeters, or that's 18 inches for vulgar Americans. Uh... <laughs> I think Liberians also use the imperial system, so... Wow, let's be honest. They're just a puppet state of america <laughs> <laughs> much like canada but we use the metric system so the next one you've got two people standing around a bunch of rubble and the caption is man joshua bloweth a mean horn <laughs> uh and that's in reference to what is that that's that's joshua blows a horn yeah but it's not just one horn it's like all of them and they're like marching around for the final time and they they oh, blow okay. blast the horns and then the walls tumble down around jericho there you go. i was gonna say i bet that gets used a lot in those sort of like ancient alien you know rick rick von daniken chariot of the gods interpretations of the bible you know where they're like oh they had an ancient sound weapon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they do, because I read and watch a lot of that stuff. And 
Yeah, how you use, you can use sound vibrations to not only move things, but to alter the physical state of things. And they believe that people use sound weapons, but also sound tools to like drill holes through extremely hard rock. And if you're wondering how they do that, I'll splice in the guy with crazy hair who's on that ancient alien show. <laughs> so do we have some type of sound technology here? And the answer is a potential yes. Aliens. <laughs> yeah, here, put your phone face down on your table. I will make one of those sounds. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what's one thing that's kind of fun about this is like that one. I don't know how many people who are not like Jews or somewhat devout Christians that know that story of Jericho. Well, have you ever heard this song? Well, Joshua fit the battle around Jericho, around Jericho, around Jericho. That was a popular song. It's covered by everybody. I, th I think it's gone out of fashion. Like, I think one of the more recent ones would be like Pete Seeger or something. Yeah. So they're probably betting on that being one that people knew, which they're doing through yeah, this whole I thing, right? They're trying to pick stories that people will know. Yeah, I guess that's what I forget is that like in 83... I mean, that's like 40 years ago. People were more Christian than they are now today. Yeah, like right? kids thought it was weird that I wasn't baptized, you know? Like, like yeah. that was like weird to other kids when I was a kid. And like, it was one of those things where it's like, if you had a kid that wasn't baptized, you don't want to leave them alone with a bunch of weirdo evangelicals because they might start baptizing them. <laughs> that happened to my buddy, actually. He had a he had like a, a nanny that like secretly baptized him. <laughs> oh, man, that seems like an inappropriate thing to do. It's difficult because it's very inappropriate, but then also like, you know, from her perspective, she was just trying to save him from like a life in hell, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that is like, that's the other thing. It's like, if you had a friend who was like almost certain that you were damned to hell and they were like, I don't know, man, you don't need to be saved. <laughs> I, yeah, I it's might like, be like, what the hell, dude? Like, save me. What the fuck? Show yeah, I always respect. feel weird about that. When I have friends who are Christians and it's like, they don't seem to care that I'm going to burn in hell. It's like, yeah. are you really my friend? <laughs> but also, I don't want to hear about it. So maybe they are being my friend by not doing it. Kyle, this is why I talk to you at such lengths is because I know I got to get our quality time in now. Since <laughs> you're going to be in hell. And I'm going to be in purgatory. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I think hell's probably pretty cool. Have you ever seen that movie Hell's a Poppin'? No. <laughs> oh, we should do that. <laughs> it's like a movie from the like the 30s or 40s. It's like Airplane. It's like so okay. ahead of its time. It's really bizarre. Anyway, the next one is one of only two Garden of Eden gags that we get in this, which I'm surprised because usually you would get the Garden of Eden more in something like this because it's an excuse for like a little bit of nudity, kind of body yeah. humor. They failed on this part, Paul Coker. Yeah. And this seems more like a snappy answers to stupid questions response yeah. where she's saying... I'm the most beautiful woman you ever met? Compared to whom? The answer is Lilith, if you if you believe in, like, apocryphal texts. The woman who came before Eve. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then the last one, it, a snake on the ground, he's half of a stick. Like, he's, turned, he's half turned into a stick. And it just says, sorry, fella, that turning a stick into a snake is a pretty good trick, but I'm not booking any magic acts right now. And that works on two levels, because, one, they're looking at it as, like, a parlor trick, but... In that story, the Pharaoh's magicians were able to do it too. They were like, fuck you, wham, threw their sticks down. Because that's a common act of prestidigitation, you know? Like that was something yeah. that you did at the time. 
in the sort of regular i mean they probably didn't call it stage magic at the time they probably sort of had like a guarded kind of art to it but it's like that it's like sawing a woman in half it's not you know it's not making the statue of liberty disappear he was no you know david copperfield let's be honest Anyway, so this next one, this must be your favorite. I did kind of enjoy one of these more than the other. The first one, this is the Dave, Dave Berg, Berg's Eye View Department, the lighter side of. And I think we should read these. We should sort of perform these. Oh, um, that's but my favorite part of these. I do want to say that I'm glad Dave Berg went in for this, you know, because he was a devout Jew. And I think it was on your live stream. It wasn't on the show that I was telling you about uh, how him and Gaines had like this sort of ongoing greeting that they would give yeah. to each other. Cause Gaines was like a staunch atheist and you know, Dave Berg is this devout Jew. And so when Dave Berg would leave a room that uh, William Gaines was in, he would say, God bless you, Bill. To which Gaines would reply, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the great thing about the lighter side is it's like totally milk toast, and it could never offend anybody except in its sort of wishy-washy liberal thinkdom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as we learned. So we have the lighter side of marriage. Mr. Kaputnik, Mr. Kaputnik, I haveth some bad news. Is there any other kind? <laughs> That's what he's going for there. <laughs> Probably better than me. I don't have a good like, uh, like oy vey. <laughs> oh, it's your wife. No, <laughs> that would be more racist. I think what I did was was bordering on tasteful. Okay. It's your wife. She she turned into a pillar of salt. Thank God I'm on a salt free diet. <laughs> <laughs> So what I like about this is that it gives us Lot's last name. So Lot's last name is Kaputnik. <laughs> also, it's it's interesting because whenever you, anyone talks about Lot and his wife turning into a pillar of salt, I always think about the story right after that where his daughters take turns getting him drunk and trying to seduce him in a cave <laughs> in like the post-apocalyptic world they were in. Yeah. And obviously that didn't make the cut for Mad. <laughs> Well, there's all sorts of like things like Noah and his sons, right? Like there's after they land, they there's a phrase in the Bible where it's like his sons saw him naked or something, or they, they saw his nakedness, yeah. which makes it seem like he was drunk and was just walking around naked. But I was listening to this podcast where they like break down the meaning of that. And some people believe that to mean that they had intercourse with their mother. Oh, weird. I could see that. He is specifically drunk in that passage. I think it is that the one of the brothers, he laughs at him and he's like the bad one, but the other two like walk backwards with a blanket to like cover yeah, him up. Yeah, they cover him. Yeah. Which I guess they're covering the uh, the incestual coitus that's going on in uh, yeah. that interpretation that you listen to. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing is about a lot of these Bible stories is that they're adapted from earlier stories, right? Like if you read like the Epic of Gilgamesh, a lot of the Noah oh, yeah. stuff is in there. And it's sort of been retold over and over and sort of changed as like, you know, the Hebrews joined with like the Israelites and they sort of merged their canon. So, yeah, it gets a little body in the Bible. That's why I'm a fan of it. Yeah. So next we have the lighter side of sacrifice. Which of these uh, Jewish men do you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> My guy is going to be Italian and I will be the one with the, <laughs> the shepherd stick. You got the crook. Okay. Yeah. So the first panel, there's nothing. There's just a dejected man with like a uh, sweet sword. 
and wearing like a shawl over his head. And then there's a man with like the shepherd's hook. And so the first panel, he says, What's the matter with you? You looketh awful. I was told to sacrifice my son. Not to worryeth. That was just to test your faith. Sacrificeth a lamb in place of your son. Now he telleth me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, as told in uh, Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited. Well, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Goes on from there. Says you gotta find me on Highway 61. You have to do a blood sacrifice if you want to commune with God. I was reading some uh, Alistair Crowley. He was talking about this alternative interpretation of the Cain and Abel story, where Abel was able to see God because he sacrificed a lamb or a goat or whatever. But because Cain only had wheat, he couldn't entice God because you need that blood sacrifice. And so that like he had to kill his brother in order to get the mark of initiation and so that he could talk to God, which I mean, is kind of weird. I mean, it doesn't make sense in like a literal reading, but I think allegorically, it's an interesting take. And I think it's just I like that early take on God where it's like, oh, he loves he loves meat. (laughs) He loves that succulent meat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's what's nuts is like you have to split a cow in half and then like a lamb in half and then you're just like cleaving all of these animals <laughs> and like stack it's like what you know like the turducken where you're like a turkey and a duck in a goose inside of a and that's your thanksgiving meal yeah and there's a lot of politics about the meat that like the different groups would eat i listened to this historian he talks about the bible and he was talking about the prohibition on pork in judaism and how like that was basically done for economic reasons. People can raise pigs and it's quick and easy, but there's not a lot of secondary products to build an economy around. Whereas if you're raising goats and sheep, you know, you've got wool, you've got milk, you know, you've got horn. So you've got these other products that you can like sell and build an economy around. And these things just sort of like become entrenched and dogmatized. I always assumed it was because the danger of pork at the time, right? Like trichinosis isn't really that dangerous now, but if it's like nearly wild pigs, that and like shellfish, right? You can get sick from both of those if they're not prepared properly. But I think a lot of that is sort of like backwards applied to a lot of the rules to make them make sense. How about this? The Don Martin department, they they phoned it in for that department. (laughs) They did. And so part of the joke is that it's become biblical. But the other joke is that you're kind of making fun a little bit of these recurring articles. So, you know, that's kind of a common thing for uh, Don Martin. Well, before I see what the gag is, we should say it's called One Thursday Afternoon During the Plagues, uh, the Second Plague. And so a guy comes and he's telling the uh, pharaoh, I've scoured the countryside. I have found no one willing to wed the princess. And she's sitting there sobbing. And then someone runs in. They're like, run for your lives. The kingdom is being invaded by a plague of frogs. And then she starts kissing them. And there, of course, then she's got all kinds of handsome princes. Yeah, she just goes ape over these frogs, kissing them all. They're all beefcakes. And I do like the drawing of her at the end with her tongue hanging out and her hands up in the air. That's classic Don Martin. Yeah. But it is a little cheap. But that is a recurring gag, the, the frog prince. Oh, yeah. Especially for Don, right? Yeah. Yeah, he went to that well a lot. So then we have a mad collection of very thin scrolls. And this is a scroll... That has a bunch of scrolls in it. So we should probably just read these scrolls. Starting the first one. 
A Guide to Family Entertainment in Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow, you're reading I, this the opposite direction that I was. Really? <laughs> it's left to right. Yeah, but I turned the page, so I was reading top to bottom. Oh, okay. We All can right. read that way. Or you can read from the bottom, and I'll read from the top, and then we'll meet in the middle. Yeah, let's meet in the middle. I like that. All right. The Popular Decisions of Pontus Pilate. The Wit and Wisdom of Goliath. The Joseph Guide to Friendly Roadside Inns. Amusing Things to Do While Trapped in a Whale's Stomach. I think this is probably my favorite one. The Who's Who of Philistine Intellectuals. The Scroll of Brotherly Love by Cain and Abel. And The Complete Fig Leaf Wardrobe Book by Eve. I absolutely love the Guide, the, the guide to Family Entertainment in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's that probably, probably my favorite one. I think that's my second favorite. Okay, and then we get a scroll. Don't ye hate... This is the Jack Davis scroll, and he's using sort of his Sesame Street style, I like to call it, where it's like it's a little bit, everyone's a little bit shorter and cuter. Yeah. He actually did a lot of Sesame Street books, like kids' books. Oh, really? I don't know if you've seen any of those. Yeah. So no. it's funny. If we should, we should do like Mad and Sesame Street sometime. He did Reality Street in Mad, which is like one of my all-time favorite Mad articles, where it's like a parody yeah. of Sesame Street. And he doesn't know who the characters are. Like, I think he mixes up like Grover and someone else. <laughs> But then a couple years later, he's actually illustrating all of these kids' books. Like, they must have seen it and been like, oh, we like how you drew Big Bird and yeah. all this stuff. You want to do some, some real Sesame Street books? Yeah, but please call him by his real name. So let's read these. These are pretty good. They're not too long. Don't you hate having to stand next to a guy who hath spent three days and three nights inside the belly of a whale? Another classic <laughs> Jonah. Oh, speaking of, I have Blackman. You know that artist, Blackman? No. I think he was in Trump and he was in Humbug. I have him doing like an interpretation of Jonah and the Whale. I'll send, you, I'll send you some pictures of it. You would like it. Don't you hate being the firstborn during the plague season? <laughs> that one's pretty brutal. That's, that's a genocide joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say infanticide, but that's not really. It could be adults, right? Firstborn that's is true, yeah. not a baby. Uh, don't you hate... Having to get a gift for the girl who has everything? I don't know this Bible story. That's King Herod giving the head of John the Baptist to uh, Salome. Oh, okay. Now, when I saw this, I thought for a second that it was the head of Holofernes. If you you know that story, Judas slays Holofernes. Okay, so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he sends this like super tough giant warrior uh, Holofernes to yeah. basically force everyone in the land to worship his gods. That's a big deal in the ancient world is that everyone yeah. worship your gods. And so, of course, like the Israelites won't or it might be the Hebrews. But anyway, they won't concede. And so they're being sieged and they've like they're almost out of food and water. And then uh, Judith, she goes out, she seduces Holofernes, gets him drunk. And with her maidservants, cuts off his head in the middle of the night and sort of absconds with it. And that's yeah. how they end up winning. And it was very popular subject of uh, sort of Renaissance and Baroque art. Uh, and my favorite one, I'm going to show you right now. Yeah. This is Judith and her handmaiden slaying Holofernes. Yeah. This is by Artemisia Gentileschi. It's from the 17th century. It's a Baroque painting. And it's one of my favorites in part because there's yeah. so much emotion to it because Artemisia was raped by her mentor, Agostino Tassi, and he was eventually found guilty of it after the authorities tortured her to be sure she wasn't lying. And he got banished from Rome for a couple of years from it. But in this painting, she's positioned herself 
as Judith and her rapist as Holofernes. Like, this is like a self-portrait of her murdering her, like, assaulter. And oh, wow. it's, a, it's a wonderful painting. It was actually mistakenly attributed to Caravaggio for a number of years. But it's a beautiful painting. I love it. It's one of my favorite paintings. It's what I think about when I'm at the dentist to try to make the pain Who, go away. Yeah. I just heard that story very recently, though, about the what's-her-face, get in the head. Judas slaying Holofernes? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. The one about uh, where the guy cuts off the head. Herod and uh, yeah. John the Baptist and uh, Salome. Yeah. It's spelled All like right. Salome, but I, I looked up the pronunciation of Salome. So I like that one. And then the last one is, don't you hate being the latrine orderly in an ark carrying two of every living species? Which I don't think that one's that funny, but I do like the illustration of the guy hunched over. He's got a clothespin on his nose. I love the animals in the background. Uh, we yeah. talked about this recently on your show, the way that the different sort of like values and line weights that Jack Davis would use to establish foreground and background. It's just all perfect. Yeah. Talk about religious experience. It's like I have that looking at Jack Davis's art, even though he's yeah, not my well, favorite mad guy. No, but that's a, that's good. Hey, you know what? Your Your religious experience comes in many forms and you'll be ready okay there you go i'll be ready for jack davis yeah the next one up is i mean my my guy bob clark he's illustrating when somebody saith he really meaneth i don't have a lot to say about this one but there's two things i really like about it i like the stippling underneath like Ooh, for the yeah. sand the shading i think that looks really nice it really really blends really nicely with like the sort of like the the nice clean line work and the like areas of white the negative space that he uses which is always a pleasure to see with bob clark and then also there's a bit of chicken fat where he's got a bronze age mad zeppelin that's powered yeah. by like oars yeah. <laughs> and i think that's pretty clever yeah i just noticed that like right before you brought it up when somebody saith blessed is he that considereth the poor he really meaneth Charitable donations are tax deductible. When somebody saith, he multiplieth words without knowledge. He really meaneth, he hath a great future in politics. Okay, I'm going to bring something up that maybe should have come up earlier. So it's a Jewish guy writing this, right? Silverstone? I think yeah. he's Jewish, yeah. I didn't actually confirm that he's Jewish. He's from New Jersey. I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> Is that like a real but, Jewish place? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I just, I'm so used to the writers in MAD and a lot of the artists being Jewish or like a lot of people in comics. I mean, this is why I think it's funny though. It'd be interesting, I guess, to find out you have a guy who I assumed is Jewish writing an article that all has to do with the Jewish scriptures, but they're using the language from the King James Bible. <laughs> 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 well, you know, I think like, especially with that sort of like New York Jewish kind of sensibility, especially like the like the sort of more Yiddish uh, immigrant population, where it's not Orthodox Jews or anything writing for mad. Like Jews like to poke fun at Christianity. It's like that's something I think is really yeah. fun for them. If you've ever seen that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry David finds out that he's adopted. How do you spell your last name? C-O-N-E. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like there's a whole montage of him going to like hang out with his parents and he's like fixing cars and he's wearing a baseball cap and 
<laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> oh my god. So I think there's a lot of like having fun with that. And uh, you know, they get away with it because well <laughs> so, such a sad history they have. <laughs> anyway, and now we're on to our last one. Yes. The classic mad gag at this time. I mean, it was going on for decades. And I'm not gonna lie, it was it's something that I never really enjoyed. And that's Mads such and such of the year. And this is Mads Prophet of the Year. So um, first of all, Michael Malice, that's a parody of Michael Wallace, sort of TV interviewer. Dude, I'm so glad you said that, actually, because I did not put that together. There's a page on Mad Cover Site with interviews, and they they list the reporter and who they're a parody of. (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) Because I wasn't watching the news in 1983 when I was like eight months old or whatever. Either was I. So Michael Malice, he's interviewing Muddle the Meshugana, and Meshugana basically means a crazy person or a fool. And I learned that from Gladys Stevens' Mendelssohn Ensemble. So Meshuggah means crazy. It means like a foolish person or someone who does foolish things or someone who's crazy. Seems okay. to be somewhere along those lines. And that makes sense for this particular person. It's, well, okay, so the the interviewer character is like, he, he comes up to him as though he were a prophet, but it turns out the guy wrote a book, which is how to be a prophet for fun and profit. <laughs> and then he also asks, but doesn't someone need divine inspiration to become a prophet? He says, I did hear a voice, but it was my wife saying, go out and findeth a job, you lazy bum. <laughs> <laughs> And then he he starts listing off all of his prophecies, and they're all just not quite right. Um, I prophesied that it would rain for 39 days and 39 nights. So close. That Moses would bring down nine commandments. That was not as close. No. You're off by 10%. Yeah. And then with Methuselah, he says he would live to 800 years, which I think he lived to 969, and that Lot's wife would be turned into a pillar of pepper. And Daniel would be thrown into the tiger's den. Oh. And he continues to list them off as he's holding up uh, those paper dolls, you know, that chain of paper dolls that he's cut out. Yeah. And it uh, says, this is Michael Malice returning you to mad. And uh, it's drawn by George Woodbridge, who I think is kind of wasted here. You know, you compare this art to the artwork from Mad Wraps Up the Bible which is about 10 years later with Frank Jacobs in Mad Number 310. And it's just a shame to like squeeze him into something so tight here. He should have gotten the cover, I think. For sure. And listen, I don't want to be like a negative Nancy. When I when I opened this up, I thought that I was going to read Mad Raps Up the Bible. <laughs> so yeah. I cannot express my disappointment when I saw what it actually was. But that's, that's, one, that's, that's another one of my favorite Mad articles, Mad Raps Up the Bible. The art's just so good. And it, I just feel like he's he's underused here. I mean, you know who would have been good for that? This one, I think. I don't know if he did interviews. It seems like he would have fit. would have been like Mort Drucker. Or Angelo Torres. Yeah, that would have been a really good one, actually. That'd probably even be better, more appropriate. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of this overall, Book of Mad? 
Well, when you were proposing the different department, you suggested the dud C scrolls. I, I thought <laughs> I thought it would be a little too on the nose. So we went with the actual department in the magazine. But yeah, I don't know. I think it kind of fell flat a little bit, even though I do like the topic, the yeah. source material. And I like that they did it. And it was all like kind of fun prodding. Well, and Mad doesn't have a lot of great things where it kind of like does like a high concept article where it's like, we're going to bring in all these different articles, you know, and then we're going to do it in like a separate section within the book. So I like to see that. Uh, the Mad well, Musicals, like another one, I feel like kind of fits into that where it's like more ambitious. I mean, they would do that sometimes. They would do like their fake magazine within a magazine. But I mean, this does feel distinct from that. I don't know. They kind of did that high concept thing every once in a while. It'd be like yeah. a teen beat or something. Certainly, well, I didn't was think like about less... those. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, this is bullshit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, here, here's what I liked. The scroll layout was fun super fun although most of these articles like the articles within the article the micro articles are kind of too lame to carry a full article in clips are kind of fun so overall it's fun that's what i like about it it's fun but here's what i don't like where's our biblical marginals where's cain and oh. abel as spy versus spy give us some jaffe a fold-in would have tied this together really nicely you know maybe some letters and like a fake subscription ad you know it really needed like another couple pages also why did only a few articles have department heads and when they did they had the actual department names from their real department so it's like lighter side is a berg's eye view like, yeah. why don't you do a joke about that? You know, like, why have it at all if you're not going to do a joke? And uh, that's basically my main complaint. They didn't take the concept far enough. And I think it needed to be worked up a little bit more and uh, be a couple pages longer. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That was that, like when you were rattling off different ideas of things to do. I mean, that's like, that does seem pretty obvious. They went with the cover. Why not do something if not like a fold in, which that is the obvious choice. Even doing something like snappy answers to stupid questions. Yeah, or inventions, um, biblical inventions. Yeah. And why not do why not do the New Testament too? Well, there was some New Testament stuff in here, I think. Head no. of John the Baptist. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. That was the only one though. Yeah, they mostly focused on Old Testament stuff, which is I think owing to the fact that Blue Silverstone was probably really inspired by the books that were coming out that were like translations of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. It's fun to do a mad article. We need to find more mad stuff that we can do for these. Well, I think that's pretty easy, right? You need a little bit of hook to get it in there. I don't know what it is. Write in a letter. And tell us if you have some ideas for a hook. You know, because I feel like the obvious one is like you watch a movie and then you look at the mad parody. So like that's what we do with Woman Wonder, basically. Yeah. You got one? Mad, mad songs. That might be. The problem is I can't sing for shit, so. (laughs) (laughs) And then you got time in the music. It's really difficult. That's why. We don't don't sing them. No, but, you know, I would end up splicing the music in and stuff. I do want to do the mad musical really bad. I I think that one looks really good. There's probably some other things. But yeah, this is like a ostensibly a mad podcast. So it's nice to get some mad stuff in there. Um, So look forward to more of that in the future. Anything else to add? God bless you, Kyle. Fuck you. I'm a sugar, I'm a sugar, I'm a sugar, I'm a sugar, I'm a sugar. He's crazy about me. Welcome to the letter rip department. What noise does a letter, a mailman, pew, pew, pew. Oh, Christ. All right. Well, in this letter, <laughs> this letter comes all the way. Well, wait, wait, wait. We got to we got to say that you can send it. We can get letters here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, You're jumping the gun. Yeah, I'm sorry.
you can send us letters. That's right. You can send us letters at potterzbpodcast at gmail.com. Please use the uh, subject line idiot mail. And mm -hmm. please start your letter with dear idiots or you idiots or... Hello idiots. Yeah, whatever. Something something to do with idiots. Call us idiots. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Hello Meshugana. That's a new one no, we learned. That'll that won't work. Be... You can call us Meshugana no, idiots. Oh, Meshugana idiots. Okay. It's got to be idiot in there somewhere. All right. Yeah, you can call us like, you know, hey, you stupid asshole idiots, but you couldn't just call us, hey, you stupid assholes. The latter would be offensive, but the former would be a term of endearment. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out how it works. Every time I think I got it, I don't. Um, <laughs> we we do have three letters today, three whole letters, three nice. people deigned to write us. And the first letter comes from Mr. Ed Beals. I'll give his email address now. It is... <laughs> uh, Ed Beals, dear... uh, that's, that's a friend of mine. Oh, friend of the show? Yeah, play your cards right. He'll be a friend of ours. That's oh. the mafia language. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ed Beals. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. Dear idiots, I'm a bit behind and just listening to your third episode. You tried getting some snappy answers to stupid questions from ChatGPT, and you were struck by its moralizing and scolding. I assume you are not using GPT-4. This version does not tend to have those sorts of scolding replies. Here's a cut and paste of my results from chat GPT-4 to try to get a snappy answer. Here we go. I'm clicking it. I'm clicked a link. All right, here we go. Do you want to hear this? Okay. Well, it sounds more excited. Do you want to hear it? I'm very excited. I'm like, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless with anticipation. Jeez, Ed's going to be a friend of mine pretty soon. <laughs> um, okay, so this is him writing, Snappy answers to stupid questions were cartoons that appeared in Mad Magazine. ChatGPT replies, yes, that's correct. Snappy answers to stupid questions was a recurring cartoon feature in Mad Magazine created by Al Jaffe. The feature humorously depicted a seemingly straightforward question and then provided several sarcastic or humorous responses. Al Jaffe's sharp wit and clever retorts made it one of Mad's popular features over the years. Would you be able to come up with some snappy answers if I supplied the scene and the stupid question? Of course, I'd be happy to give it a try. Please provide the scene and the stupid question and I'll come up with some snappy answers. In the spirit of Al Jaffe's Mad Magazine feature, a woman is on her hands and knees in the park. She's carefully picking up pearls that have fallen from her broken necklace. A man asked her, have you lost something? No, I'm just giving the ants a treasure hunt. Nope, just practicing my ground inspection skills. Lost something? No, just planting a pearl tree. Hmm. But he's right. There's nothing, uh, there is no other things um, added in. There you go. I, you know what I noticed? He's really good at having a conversation with ChatGPT. A lot yeah. better than I am. He's a techie guy. Okay, that's very interesting. P.S. This is back to his letter. I'm truly enjoying your podcast. I think you two make a great team. I could say more positive things, but Kyle wouldn't like it. Well, I would like it. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I think on that episode, I actually was talking about how I, uh, I have distaste for sincerity. And uh, <laughs> I, li I like everything baked in a little bit of irony. Yeah. That way I know what people um, are talking about. All right. Um... Uh... Oh, you know what? Oh, okay, never mind. 
we don't have three letters. We have two letters because this idiot sent it again. He forgot to put idiot mail in the subject line. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're back down to two. That's like um, me applying for grants. Every time I apply for a grant, it's like I have to send it three or four times because they have some stupid bureaucratic thing that they'll like disqualify you for, and then I end up like talking to the the people saying, "Ah, you can just disp you can dispose of those first couple," and they're like, "Ah, no one would have cared," but they would have uh -huh. cared. They would have yeah. cared. Yeah. All right, our next idiot mail comes from FM Towns. Ahoy, idiots! I was listening to some Mad Magazine novelty songs, which led me down a novelty song rabbit hole. The most famous has to be Monster Mash by Bobby Boris Pickett. The song is a bop, but I didn't know any of his other songs. Unfortunately, it seems Mr. Pickett tried many, many times to score another Monster Mash hit by rewriting Monster Mash over and over again. My favorite is Scully Gully. When the skeletons will at bewitching hour It echoes from dungeon to tower Vampires Scully Gully, zombies Scully Gully, werewolves Scully Gully too. Well, that's mentioned. Transylvania Twist, Scully Gully, Graveyard Shift. They're all the same songs. He even tried a Christmas version called Monster's Holiday. The worst of these has to be Monster Rap. Oh, yep. I haven't heard that. In 1965, there was a novelty song called I Want My Baby Back by Jimmy Cross. It made it to 92 on the Billboard charts. It, I know it's a it's comedy, but I still find it fucking wild that a song about necrophilia made it to the Billboard chart. <laughs> Can't live without her touch? We see you, Jimmy Cross. So, idiot. <laughs> it's like, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> yeah. So, idiot and co-idiot, what are some of your favorite novelty songs? From Fernando Mitsurugi from Poughkeepsie. Favorite novelty songs. Now, I'm a big fan of the actual, like, novelty genre of songs from, yeah. like, the 30s and 40s. So, like, um, what's his name? Ukulele Ike, who was the voice of Jiminy Cricket. He's got, a, he's got all kinds of novelty songs, like, you know, My Dog Likes Your Dog, and uh, I'm a Bear in a Lady's Boudoir. I may not be a football hero, but I'm a star with a beautiful girl. You never see me in the thick of a fight, cause I do my scoring mostly at night. I never tackle any dummies, I've played the best from near and far. No, I ain't, no, I'm not a football hero, but I'm a bear in a lady's boudoir. But they're not like parody songs so much. Oh, who who's that team? There's a team that I really like. Um, Jethro and Tull. What's his name? No, it's not Jethro Tull. I'm gonna look it up. It's Jethro and Homer and Jethro. I didn't even have to look it up. Homer and Jethro, and they were like in the 50s and 60s. They were doing uh, parody versions of popular songs, uh, like "Don't Let the Sun Get in Your Eyes" if you've got water on your brain. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> or the stars. Don't let the stars get in your, your eyes if you got water on the brain. Don't let the stars get in your eyes if you've got water on the brain. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Don't light the flame or you'll be to blame. The spark of love may take your breath. The water starts to stream and your ears will start to steam and you'll percolate yourself to death. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Bingo! Don't let the stars get in your eyeball sockets. And they did all these great novelty songs in the 50s and 60s, but they were like amazing pickers. Like one of them's on mandolin. Yeah. I think the other one's on guitar. And it's just like, it's such high levels of talent. It's like they could have been doing anything, but they do all these novelty songs. That kind of reminds me of one of my favorite. I don't know if it's actually novelty songs but he does like a lot of silly songs and that's um roger miller and okay. he did the voice of another disney character the rooster in robin hood oh yeah he did all the music for that but he would do all these songs like chug a lug which is about a kid who just gets drunk chug a lug 4-h and ffa on a field trip to the farm man a friend sneak off behind this big old barn where we uncovered a covered up moonshine still. And we thought we'd drink our fill. And I swallowed it with a smile. I run ten miles. Chug lug, chug lug. Uh, and I don't know if they're novelty, but they're very silly and they're lighthearted. But he was a really good singer and a really good guitar player. Yeah. But the silliness of the song, like you don't always appreciate it on his hits like maybe like these two guys you were talking about where it kind of gets overshadowed a little bit yeah but i mean with homer and jethro it would have been more of a live act yeah so it would have been like here they are on uh hee-haw or whatever um yeah. sort of doing like kind of trick mandolin playing and stuff like that yeah i think actually that that disney movie the robin Hood, disney's robin Hood. i think like the 50 or 60th anniversary of that is coming up in like a week from when this is released very soon you should do Dude, Maid Marian, that was like, I, I know I I think I talked about Karen Allen. Oh, that may have been on a live stream. No, you did talk about your your uh, your your fetish attraction to Maid Marian from from, uh, from Robin uh, Hood? Disney's Robin Hood, which is actually like very common in the furry community. Um, that's like one of the that's one of the main influences for people who are furries. Like that's a major contributor. I forgot to mention that when we did that episode. That was like episode one or two <laughs> dude am i a sex pervert i think you're more of a romantic myself but that's how i <laughs> but if you want to see some great pictures of uh maid marion getting peed on stop uh, I it, send them Cut your it. Way. no stop stop <laughs> yeah don't ruin it for me it's it was like god that's like oh man anyway here's an this is one i like novelty songs is alan sherman I don't okay. know what it was. I got like clued into Alan Sherman when I was in middle school, like when everybody was listening to Weird Al. I okay. think my dad was like, you like Weird Al. <laughs> this is the original Alan Sherman. And uh, I just went down a, a rabbit hole. The famous one was uh, Camp Granada. Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining 
<laughs> Made famous by The Simpsons. Marge, is Lisa at Camp Granada? <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I When that episode, when I saw that, I got the joke. You got the joke, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, those are some of my favorite novelty acts, I guess. Not so much specific songs. Yeah, I'm also a fan of Weird Al. I like Weird Al a lot, especially his early work. Um, yeah. You know, for me, when I was like a like a young teenager and sort of first getting into music, it's like I really didn't have any connection to any of the music that was popular with my contemporaries. I really only liked the music that was in the background of old cartoons, which yeah. now I've discovered, hey, you can actually just listen to that stuff. <laughs> uh, it's called jazz. But Weird Al sort of was like, he was kind of my entry point to any kind of music that you know, my contemporaries were listening to. Um, and the humor really kind of helped the crappy music go down. Um, which, yeah. you know, Weird Al isn't crappy. Like, he's very talented. But it's funny how all of his early parodies are just food. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had a food fetish. So that was it. I thought Ed wrote two letters. I guess he, he sent it a second time. Yeah, because he, he actually, okay, look it. This is what it says. Let's it embarrass says- him on the air here. It says, Dear Idiots, I'm a bit behind in just listening to your third episode now. It says all the same things. And it goes, P.S., the thing about enjoying the show. And then it goes, P.P.S., which is correct, right? Post, yeah, postscript. Post, postscript, yeah. Yeah. I sent this message earlier, but neglected to direct it to idiot mail. Idiot in training, Ed. There you go. Well, yeah. we can appreciate that. It's good to not be afraid to be stupid. Dare to be stupid. <laughs> Dare to be stupid. That's That's basically our motto here. You know, it's like. That's that's the mad ethos is you, you shouldn't be afraid to be stupid and you shouldn't be afraid to point out stupidity either. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Ed. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> All right. Should we be moving on then? Yeah. Let's move on to our next department. begging and groveling department yeah so this is where we sort of get down on our knees and Mm, open wide we do what we have to that's it baby we want you to do something for us you know so you know we want you to tell your friends we want to tell your loved ones you know if you're a pet who's like owner leaves them at home and plays podcasts so they won't be lonely uh we'll emit a high pitch frequency right now that'll draw you over to the the podcasting device and just try to mash up against that. Yeah, just try to mash up against that and uh, give us uh, five stars on whatever your podcast app is or whatever they use, Bones, if it's a pet podcasting app, and uh, like and review. So, Kyle, where should people go if they want more of you and less of me? Well, uh, you can find me at my website at uh, kylebridget.com. That's where you can hire me to draw you a picture or to teach you how to draw a picture or to really do, you know, anything. And I mean anything that money can buy. And then everywhere else, I'm at Little Cozy Nostril, uh, especially on YouTube, where I'm at Little Cozy Nostril. And I do a show called Canonically Crumb, where I explore the comics and characters of R. Crumb's Crummyverse. And hey, check out my Tee Public site, where you can buy all kinds of t-shirts, including the official Potter ZB t-shirt. Uh, and you'll find the links to that in the show description. What about you, Patrick? Well, you can check me out on YouTube, youtube.com slash at flipping through, all one word. What do I do? I post a new video every Saturday reviewing 
old issues of Mad Magazine. I also live stream every other Sunday. Um, if you want to buy a button, flippingthrough.com. You can go, go to my button store. It sounds stupid every time I say it, but I sell buttons. Yeah, I don't know why you don't get other things in that store. You could so easy. Do you even have a yeah. Potter ZB button? No. <laughs> oh my God. Send me the template for a button. I'll make you a Potter ZB button you can sell on there. <laughs> All right, I'll try. <laughs> and All check right. out Andrew Goldfarb, alias The Slow Poisoner, on YouTube, at The Slow Poisoner. And you'll also find his website link in the show description. We'll be back in two weeks with more Potter ZB podcast. Hey, thank you so much for listening. By the way, Ed, how's your mom? Hold on, let me swallow my spit so I don't sound like a some disgusting animal. Oh, motherfucker, my kid's getting up. <laughs> Damn it, that so up. Done. I'll be right back. <laughs>